I know you want a scalable solution. We all do. But you also don't want a homogenous solution that no one answers because it feels like a blanket that went to everyone. And I can't tell you the number of emails I get in a day. I can't tell you the number of LinkedIn messages I get that say, hi, Hannah, I see you're an executive coach in Philadelphia, PA. How do you like working for Priority And I'm just sitting here going, it's, it feels so clear to me that this was a high first name. How do you like being a title in city state? Like it, it feels like that to every single person that's getting it. It's an instant delete versus if somebody sent me an email that said, hey, Hannah, gosh, with the pandemic, all these people are reevaluating their life choices and career choices. I imagine as a coach, you must be busier than ever. Are you getting any sleep lately? All they said was my first name. They didn't say my title. They didn't say my city. They didn't say any of it. But all of a sudden in that piece of outreach, I'm like, oh, this person gets it. And I'm much more likely to respond to that person. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm Amy Rahovchek, and I appreciate you pressing play. I know you've got a ton of options, and it means the world. That was Henna Pryor. Henna is an award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and sales and revenue growth trainer with Priority Group. And Sales Copy Clinic, Henna's latest endeavor, is something every seller should know about. Today, Henna and I get into questions like, why do most of us continue to write emails like business cyborgs? Where does the writing skill gap come from? And what can we do about it? How can we incorporate more context in our words that are actually relevant to and for our buyers? We also break down the psychology of the email response and what happens when narrower segmentation is introduced into the mix. We get into all this and more, but before I do, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to the show wherever you listen. And if you subscribe, I would certainly appreciate you letting me know how I'm doing in the form of a review. And with that, this is the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm Amy Rahovchek. Enjoy. Hannah Pryor, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline, friend. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. <sighs> oh, man. Okay. I, I am so excited. So, Hannah, why don't you share with our listeners who you are and what you do on a daily basis, and then we'll we'll dive right in. Okay. Who am I? I am Hannah Pryor. What do I do on a daily basis? I'm going to start with what feels most present, which is I am a mother of two children who were being a little insane this morning. So that feels top of mind. They're 12 and nine, but I am an executive coach, a keynote speaker and a sales and revenue growth trainer and have developed a couple of training programs in that industry. And honestly, my, my life's work is to help people get out of their own way and up-level their performance. Hmm. Listeners, Hannah was introduced to me by my friend, Colin Mitchell, who is the host of Sales Transformation. And we had one conversation before this, and I cried during that conversation because Hannah was so amazing and impressive. And it like, she really breathed belief and hope into me in a big way. And so I'm looking forward to this, but also after listening to Colin and Henna chat on his show, which the episode is going to be linked in the show notes, friends, I could see why, why Colin wanted to connect us. Okay. So Henna, you and Colin were talking about messaging communications yep. and 
I like, I don't want to say that, that I have been on this soapbox as well, even though I just said it and it's true. So like you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking a line because everything that you shared, I agree with 1000%. And so when you think about sales messaging right now or communication, how do you see the market? How do you see what's going on and like what got us to this point? Like just a general overview of your perspective of sales communication and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I have a lot to offer on that topic, but I will tell you that the biggest issue that I see right now is that most sales professionals have two selves. They have the version they bring to a in-person meet or an in-person meeting, a coffee. This version of them is, you know, got a big smile. They have a big smile on the face. They're telling stories about their family. They're really personal and authentic. And then you have the email version or the digital communication version, which nine times out of 10 is this stuffier, more corporate, more verbose, more wordy, but most importantly, just mismatched version of the experience that someone gets of that person when they actually get a chance to spend time with them or even talk to them on the phone. And so where I see so much opportunity in the improvement of sales communication and what I'm passionate about is bridging that wildly unnecessary gap of how we think we are supposed to show up in the written word and in digital formats and the way that we tend to authentically show up when we have the connection of a human being that's actually in our proximity. Wow. Okay. So I'm personally going through a journey right now where I am falling back in love with email. And it's like an interesting thing for me to recognize how much I grew to dislike it, I think because of that cognitive dissonance and yeah. not knowing a better way. And I'll, I'll do a massive shout out to Lavender here in the Lavender team, which is in uh, an email tool that's absolutely like injected more joy back into emailing. And so, but that said, Hannah, like, I couldn't agree with you more. And and I'm chuckling, remembering. So when I was learning to sell in my twenties, I was, I was at Thomson Reuters and I was actually living with a friend of mine from college, um, Will Atherton, who is a, he actually is a director of photography. He did Tiger King, right. To give you some context, but nice. anyway, so Will, I remember sitting in our Upper West Side apartment and I would be on sales calls or meetings and Will would also be working on whatever he was working on in his little area. And it, he would just randomly get up in the middle of the meeting and walk over to the fridge and add to a list that he had started titled Ridiculous Corporate Speak. And when he when he heard like a stupid phrase, like or a stupid corporate phrase that just didn't line up with yeah. who I was, I mean, I had a full list of it. And so like it helped me to remove those things from how I showed up in person. So this is a massive problem, right? And you hit on it in a bunch of reasons. And I would encourage like listeners, I'm not going to cover what Conan had covered. So definitely check out that episode too. But why do you think that there is a massive skill gap Hannah, yeah. on how people show up in their written communications of any kind? Because that's what we were taught. That's the short answer. We went through, most of us went through, you know, quite a bit of traditional schooling in which what was taught to us, the skill of writing that was taught to us 
was grade school, high school, college writing. And that style of writing is traditional academia writing. It is an essay style. It is heavy on being grammatically correct and having full sentence structures and not ending a sentence in a preposition and not using sentence fragments. This was our training. So it's actually quite expected for people to start their careers in writing this way because that is their training. In fact, to the point where those of us who did those things well in high school and college got the highest grades. We were rewarded for writing that way. And the reality is anybody who studies the discipline of sales psychology and specifically sales writing will tell you that sales writing is a very specific style of writing. It is not a formula, but it is distinct with blueprints and patterns. And for better or worse, most people in the industry were never taught that way of writing. And so for lack of a better option, they're relying on their training. And so it makes sense that it happens that way, mm -hmm. but we have to actually physically do something about it to get them into a place where the, the new objective is not gr grammar and full sentence structure and essay, but the new objective is to connect with your audience and make an emotional reaction occur and to actually get them excited about what you're saying. And that's a different style of writing altogether. Wow. Okay. So two things. You're talking to someone that uh, tested out of math in college, but was placed mm -hmm. into remedial writing. And so I, I also carried a very deep seated, like I'm a bad writer with me well into my early thirties. And so I think that's a big piece of it is the fear, but I, I want to hone in on the teachings once we get into sales. Right. And so I'm a little biased on this front because so I sold for a decade. Right. And then built out two sales enablement departments. And I lost count how many times I tried to position a writing program of any kind that was always shut down. Like I, I, I never got it approved, like not once. And so I, I see the sales copy clinic that you're doing and others that are working on this front and frankly doing the Lord's work as far as I'm concerned. But then it's like such a damn head scratcher. What would you say to that? Why has it taken so long and people in decision-making positions for sales floors, why is this such a giant leap for them? Yeah, it's a very valid question. And what I have observed with the clients that have eventually come to this side, right, come from the dark side to the light side has mm -hmm. been some version of we were scared. We were scared that by focusing on the writing, we were taking away from the personal touch. We were afraid that by encouraging this type of communication, we were discouraging that type of communication. And there has been a long held fear from especially corporate leaders that everything needs to hinge on as personal as possible. Usually that means get the meeting. It, in the absence of the meeting, get the Zoom call. In the absence of the Zoom call, get the phone call. And while I am here to agree that yes, I believe deeply in human connection, in voice to voice. I mean, my day job is as a speaker, facilitator, executive coach. I believe deeply in the way someone is hesitating or if their voice picks up or if their voice lowers, there's a lot of clues in that. So this isn't against that, but we are naive if we think that most people's first line of communication on how they decide whose call they're going to take or how they decide whose meeting they're going to take 
we are naive if we don't realize at this point in 2022 that that's happening through digital communication first. People are reading their email before they listen to their voicemail. In fact, they read They're their read the voicemail. transcripts of the voicemail. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read my voicemail right. before I decide. And so the intentionality behind the words we use and choose, I would argue, Amy, that it just didn't matter 20 years ago. It didn't. It wasn't so prevalent as a communication force. But now in this sort of back end of COVID, this is here to stay. We are going to be a decentralized hybrid you know, digital networking, digital footprint environment, even when things do start to go back to more in person, this mode of communication as a primary tool is here to stay. And so I think people are starting to realize now we have to learn how to create that same feeling of connection, trust, you know, the no like and trust, like I really vibe with this person. I like their energy. We have to learn how to do that through this medium and realize that it's not at the expense of it's in addition to. Man, okay. I I couldn't agree more. I want to drop just three things that have been life-changing for me personally in the past month, friends. The first is writing at a fifth grade reading level. Holy shit. Not only has that like released uh, so many things for me. So you're you're able to write faster, right? And so oh, yeah. all the laboring over these stupid mm-hmm. emails and like whatever. Yeah. So that's a big one, right? At a fifth grade level, um, yeah. incorporate more que- like a question, right? When you've got a question in there, the response rates are off the charts and shorter sentences, which I think Kenny, you touched on. But before we get into the psychology of it, which we're going to yeah. get into, there are okay. two other things I want to just call out um, by way of the problem. Mm-hmm. And the first is the lack of industry expertise, right? The ability to bring in, as you said, context into the communication, which is the other C next to the content, right? The content of the email and the context um, are, are massive parts of engagement, right? And so this is, these are Hannah's phrases from the, from the mm-hmm. first episode. So she's shaking her yeah. head with me now. Yeah. Yes, um, all of it. So that's a thing. And then the second is the SDRs and the front, the tip of the spear, right? And so I think about this when it comes to sales engagement tools, right? And so there's so many different challenges over there. Like I, I feel like most people don't understand really the, the differences between, let's say, marketing automation, sales engagement tool, and then like a CRM. Um, but that that's a thing. But I've purchased and implemented outreach twice. Both times, it was like a battle internally to allow the SDRs some basic autonomy around their messaging, around their emails. And like, I understand the pull towards reducing errors, right? And like whatever I'm wanting to streamline, but at the same time, I know what what happens to the soul of a person when you strip strip away art and creativity of all kinds, Yeah. right? Yeah. Not only telling them yeah. what to do, but how to do it down to the day and task. You were one of the first people that I ever heard call attention to how poorly most sales engagement platforms are implemented and used. And it's driving this like obscene digital pollution, right? I, I, and so I guess, would you speak to both of those things that are missing and what you've seen? Again, it's the ability to apply context into the communication just because they haven't taught that either. And then of course the SDRs that are, or just a poor um, a poor application around the sales engagement tool. What say you, yeah. friend? Okay, love it, love it. Okay, so I'll, I'll go one at a time. So on the context bit, 
this is to me, and here's me on a little bit of a soapbox. And I, I, I'm a generally positive person, so I don't like to call people out by you know names, but there is a laziness around the context piece. And so one of my favorite examples of this is I'm a huge fan of Daniel Pink in all of his books. And he talks a lot about drive and motivation and sales. And so he, I can't remember where he said it, but he drew an example between the way we used to sell and the way we sell now. And he used the example of a vacuum cleaner salesman, oh, I right? Have you heard that. this one? Yeah, yeah. I love, from you saying, well, like I love Dan Pink and I've, I'm a big fan of his stuff, yeah. but continue, continue for our okay. listeners. So, so the, the short version is that if you were a vacuum cleaner salesman, maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it was your responsibility to understand the details of your vacuum cleaner. You know, is it bag or bagless? Does it slide from carpet to hardwood floor? You know, what are the, the features? What are the buttons? How are they located? Does it feel good in your hands? Nowadays, you can Google that. Like you can Google that. People will Google it. If they want to know what the features are, they will Google it. So the person who is going to kill it selling vacuum cleaners now does not know. I mean, they do know all those features for sure. They know those things. But in addition to that, if they want to make money, that's not what they're hinging their expertise on. They are now in the home cleanliness business. Home cleanliness so their knowledge is yeah. now, you know, do you have carpets or do you have hardwood floors? Do you have a pet? What kind of pet? Does that pet shed? What kind of hair do they shed? Is it hair or fur? Do you live in the Northeast where you get pollen in the spring? Do you keep your windows open? Like you have to understand the, the landscape mm-hmm. in which you work. And so when you say, you know, SDRs don't have their context, then I'm going to put a little tough, tough love to leadership. What are you doing to make sure they do? They should understand the context in which they work. They should understand the industry which they serve, or they will never sell effectively. They will sell homogeneously and sound like everyone else selling the same thing. I would say the same thing to UAs, right? Do the work, do the work, do the work. Anyone that's interested in a deeper dive on um, how to develop industry mastery, even if your leadership is falls more into the sales boss rank, which Hannah, I differentiate between sales leader and sales boss. No one's going to care more about your career and your own mastery than you friends. So I would definitely yeah. check out um, Charles Mulbauer, that episode. We go deep into, into this one. Okay. And, and Hannah, like I'll, I'll mm, I got to take it one step further. Like when, when you listen to the debate about, you know, how much room for creativity we should leave in the outreach process. Yeah. Yeah. So or like, is this going to impede our predictable revenue? Like it's, it yeah. always makes me laugh because people will use this. Well, it's not scalable. Yeah. Yeah. So you this know, hinges on your automation your... question. It's, it's well, it's like, like, how about do it, do it. Yeah. Why don't you try to yeah. do a damn training on writing or bring in right. a, like a, an expert like Kenneth? And it's no, do it's, it. I'm, I'm and then we'll because, talk about what your team is physically capable yeah. of, but continue. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. And I think it's the second part of the question you asked earlier is poor marketing automation, because I know you want a scalable solution. We all do, but you also don't want a homogenous solution that no one answers because it feels like a blanket that went work. to everyone. And yeah. I can't tell you the number of emails I get in a day. I can't tell you. The number of LinkedIn messages I get that say, hi, Hannah, I see you're an executive coach in Philadelphia, PA. How do you like working for priority group? And I'm just sitting here going, it's, it feels so clear to me that this was a high first name. How do you like being a title in city state? Like it, it feels like that to every single person that's getting it. It's an instant delete versus if somebody sent me an email that said, 
hey, Hannah, gosh, with the pandemic, all these people are reevaluating their life choices and career choices. I imagine as a coach, you must be busier than ever. Are you getting any sleep lately? All they said was my first name. They didn't say my title. They didn't say my city. They didn't say any of it. But all of a sudden in that piece of outreach, I'm like, oh, this person gets it. Mm -hmm. This person gets it. And I'm much more likely to respond to that person. By the way, that thing that I just said could have been done at scale. It could have been done at scale. They could have sent that to every single executive coach, but it felt like it was for me because they took a little bit of that extra beat, you know? Mm, That's so, okay. Okay. So I want to come back to that, but before we go into the really granular, I want to spend 10 minutes talking about the psychology of communication and the writing um, because my degrees in mass communications from American University. I've always loved this messaging piece. And I equate that with some of the best years I had carrying a bag. And again, it's so rare to hear someone that is communicating accurate information about the copy, about the psychology, and about even like you were using awareness when you were sharing with Colin. And so let's talk about this for 10 minutes. Like I've got pages of notes. I made a mistake when researching and doing your stuff because I have (laughs) too many pages of them. Okay. But anyway, what makes someone more likely to respond to a cold outreach message, Henna, from your perspective, like from the psychology of it, let's break it down as we can get through as much as we can for 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of things, but I'll, I'll give you the high level answer. And then I'll give you some specifics after that. Perfect. The high level answer is you will have someone much more likely to respond if you make them feel seen, heard, and understood. That's the high level answer. If you can genuinely do your job in making that person feel seen, heard, and understood, and that's a lot harder in execution than it sounds, genuinely making them feel like, hey, she gets me. She understands the world that I live in, the the role that I'm in currently, what I'm dealing with in this industry and how it uniquely affects me. Anytime you can genuinely convey that, you are going to do much better on a response. Now, there are many ways to go about that. One is just how you start the email. And the way most people in sales start their email is, Hi, I'm such and such from so-and-so firm. We've been doing this for X number of years, which is, you know, insta-delete, as we know, that's not going to catch anyone's attention because they didn't ask you yet. Rather, starting from the you perspective, starting from the, here's what I imagine based on other folks like you that might be happening in your world. Is that true? Or is that something similar? Or here's something that I just learned about your industry. Is that affecting you directly, right? Something that makes it feel out of the gate. We don't have time to waste. Attention is a currency. Out of the gate, something that makes them feel like I'm here to have a conversation with them about them. We can talk at length about features and benefits, but really, I think, again, people who even confuse that. Benefits are what's in it for them, Mm -hmm. not what's a high-level, frou-frou benefit of the product, the service, the offering. No, uniquely, what's in it for them. I think a lot of times people have this false idea that the emails need to be super duper detailed. Sometimes they can be, but what they don't recognize is it can be way more effective and way more powerful. If it's all the energy that you spend writing the super duper long detail thing is just that much more zoned in on the person 
that you're trying to reach, or at least somebody that's like the person, somebody within their segment, that energy will be so much better spent. And it boils down to writing it from their point of view, not yours. Oh my God, like preach. Okay. So, um, how, so these are all your questions that you tossed out to, to Colin. And I like, I, I, how do you get someone's attention? How do you keep it? How do you emotionally connect? How do you compel them to respond? How do we make them, oh, excuse me, compelled to want to respond? How do we make our messaging irresistible? How do we appeal to the, in the right ways instead of the old fashioned ways? Um, yeah, man, like it's, it's incredible to me how poorly most people in this profession understand this particular concept. And now it's like multiplying, right? Because we've got people that have been raised in a particular way and they've had experiences and those experiences, you know, air quotes worked for them, you know, and nobody seems to be asking like, couldn't it be better? Um, and so I guess I was just trying to say, man, thank you for doing what you do. Like, I just, I like, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. Okay. So Hannah, how, like, I'm reminded now of, there was some, there was a, a blitz that I was doing on something, but like, I haven't figured out how to personalize at the level that I'm accustomed to personalizing now that, that I know that works with that first touch. And so you've mentioned a couple times about automating in this new way. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I think we started to touch on it, but I'll go a layer deeper. Mm-hmm. I I, again, there's different ways about this. I think there are ways to personalize at scale if you are really dialed in on it. So I don't want to say that it's not possible. It's just most people don't do that. What most people have better luck with is narrower segmentation rather than having to try to feel like every email has been overloaded with personalized keywords. It's much more effective to have narrow segmentation. So again, in that example I gave, the more they can speak to the issues that someone in my position might be going through, the more it feels like they wrote that just to me, right? And so it's understanding more narrowly the industry that you work in. Even then people tend to go a little bit too big on the segment. They're like, well, I, you know, I sent this to all coaches in the Northeast. Well, no, that's too big. Well, I sent it to all executive coaches in Philadelphia. No, that's too big. Send it to executive coaches in Southwestern PA that maybe have graduated from University of Delaware. Now yeah, you're or just start started their responses. business in the first year so that right, they're at a right. certain point on their journey. Okay, this is amazing. And I want to do a second episode on this because I'm looking at the clock and mad that we're running out of time. <laughs> um, no, but it's, you're spot on. Like you're so spot on. All right, listeners, at this point, the season two episode to, I think with Jeff Swan, where we go into list creation, we went, we go deep into this and the terminology used in that episode, it's the qualifications, triggers, and tie-ins. And so when you're thinking about segmentation, right, we, we, it's so much deeper than location, industry, title, department, right? So try to think about um, where someone's at on their learning journey, or maybe they just got to, they, these are the people that have been at a job for a certain amount of time. When Colin and I were doing the cold calling, he's got a live cold calling show. Um, you know, we talk on that show about segmenting the outreach to 
companies that have a podcast already versus those that do not, right? These are, um, okay. Anyway, well said, and I completely agree on all fronts and we are going to do a second episode because I'm sure. with, like, we there's, yeah. I only got through one page of my notes on things I wanted <laughs> I, to speak about. I'll come back. Okay. Amazing. All right. So what is the most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have in a revenue context? Oh, it's, it's always some version of somebody exactly like you does this and does it, you know, equally as well, but for cheaper. I, and that I'll say that that's because that for me is the most uncomfortable conversation, always, always lending itself to be a money conversation in some way because of the way I grew up around money. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a household where I have immigrant parents, where it was, you know, we don't brag about money. We don't talk about money. Money isn't something we ask about. We don't discuss it. So I've had to do a lot of my own inner work around money. And a lot of my own upbringing was around feeling worthy or valued. So if I do X job on a test, or if I sell my services at X dollars and somebody in any way indicates to me that I'm not worth it or that I don't match the level of value that I propose that I bring, it brings up all kinds of crazy things for me. And so what I have found to be almost always universally the case when somebody tries to beat you down on money is it's never really about money. Mm-hmm. It's never about money. And so I'll just, I'll give one tactical example. I don't want to name names, but my, my husband has this one client who is always giving him a hard time on money. He works in a, let's just say a form of medical distribution. And he is a consultant where he's very hands-on. People do have an online version of where they can buy those products, but then they don't get a partner, right? Mm-hmm. So he's a little more expensive because he is a partner. There's an online version. So people beat him up on pricing And what I had to remind him was I said, listen, have a conversation with them about this money thing. It's not about the dollars and cents. And ultimately the conversation is always some version of Miss client. Just let's, let's, let's level set for a second. What's, what's the, what's the concern here? What are we nervous about? Have you gotten taken advantage of before with a partner with when it came to money, did you feel like you were overcharged about something? Do you feel like it was a ripoff? You cut it when you start asking the right questions of what, you know, what's there's something brewing underneath here that we're not naming what's going on. All of a sudden the real concern comes out, mm-hmm. which is I promised this. I, I signed a contract with this one person for their business. They said they were going to give me the best prices. And all of a sudden I found out from someone else that they got different pricing or that, you know, they weren't being honest. Most people, unless it's like huge, huge, big ticket differences, are willing to spend a little bit more money, but most sales folks don't take the time to probe a little bit deeper about where those concerns are coming from. And so this is where I think some of that coaching skill set can come in handy. Mm-hmm. Slow down for a beat, figure out where it's coming from. So in my husband's case, he found out that this person was raised in a household where you find things for cheapest. That's the priority. You don't spend extra money. You find the cheapest solution. And so he just had to go about that relationship in a really tactical way of here's what you're getting. Here's what the value is. Here's the payoff. And like literally put it in a spreadsheet so that in his mind, he can reconcile, okay, actually when all things are laid out, this is still the cheapest quote unquote, based on the value that I'm getting in return. But if he didn't have that conversation, it would have never gone that way. So I don't know. My hard conversations are always money related. And I just, 
you know, I think I have to get into it with them or nothing ever happens. Wow. Okay. Wow. Holy shit. For two reasons. That was the first time that this aspect of the uncomfortable conversation has come up, which is this type of conversation triggers me. I know it triggers me. And here it is like, uh, and so whatever. And I'm going to come back to that. But the second is <sighs> listeners, I referenced crying the first time that I spoke with Henna and it had to do with the money stuff and hearing, but it was happy tears. And I share it because Henna would just dropped a sentence that she did the work to understand the triggers around this type of conversation. And then when you do the work, the result. And so like, I, I think that that's a really important thing to call out is that when you are at a point where you've identified a certain type of conversation equals triggering, right? So much so that you can notice that trend, right? That the work is then on us as individuals to dig into that with a journal, right? With the therapist or whatever, and kind of get at it. And so Hina, like that is, that's an incredible thing. And I agree with you as well on the, the skill development on not digging in deeply enough. And I'm reminded of going back to to for deals that I lost, right? I never lost a deal and didn't go back and ask, how could I do better next time? But there's an, there's an art in asking those questions. And you would apply this to discovery too, right? The first answer that somebody gives you, I'm not interested, I'm busy, like, or yeah. send me information. Like that's, that's, um, but anyway, even at the end of the deal, oh, it was about price or, oh, you know, all the standard things, the first thing that they give you is never the real thing. And so you got to dig into it. And so on, on both of those fronts, Hannah, yeah. And some pretty solid. We're, we're just afraid of naming the taboo. I'll put a, just the last little point on this. Everybody has a thing that they have to face, right? So when you ask me, what are the uncomfortable conversations? There's so many less of them now, but I'll tell you that what they all had in common is they were conversations I didn't want to have with myself. They were things that I didn't want to address because of my upbringing, whether it be my worthiness or my public image or money. These were like deep rooted things in myself that I was deeply insecure about. And until I slayed those demons, I had no chance in confidently having conversations with other people about them. Step one, do the work on yourself. If you don't have a coach or a therapist or have done any deep dive into your own self-awareness, I mean, I can rattle off my triggers. I know what they are because I've done the work with a coach and with a therapist, both. I have both, you know, to, to know what my triggers are so that when they show up in the light of day, they don't take me over. I can just name them and say, whoop, being triggered right now because I feel like I'm being unjustly criticized for something, right? Like I know I can name them in a heartbeat. And if people can't do that themselves. Yeah, condescension yeah, sure. was one that I would see, yeah. like I would experience, yeah. right? It's like, um, wow, okay, wow, well said. I agree with everything. Um, listener friends, you know that I believe that not all therapy is created equal. My favorite and also the most effective form, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, like performance psychology, whatever. So I would if, go in that direction, move in that direction. Yeah. Hannah, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Sales Copy Clinic. Oh, thank you. I'm really proud of this training program. I created it to fill a gap that I couldn't stand unfilled anymore. The website is salescopyclinic.com. It is a 
really thorough training on how to write more effective sales messaging and sales communication. And this is for that day-to-day person who is trying to get in touch with clients, who is trying to get people on the phone that is still operating from their manual of, you know, eighth grade English class and wondering why they aren't getting responses. You know, to that, I say, it's not your fault. You've never been taught. And it is a skill that requires teaching. There's a whole bunch of details on the website about what's included. If anybody has any questions about the program, I do offer it live on Zoom for teams up to 500 I've done it for. So if anybody has any questions about it, reach out. But I I would just add that we are naive if we don't recognize that this is a mode of communication that is here to stay. So if you're still guessing what to put in your emails and messaging, and hoping that it turns into that next layer of conversation, I beg of you, whether it's through me or through someone else, stop guessing. There is a method to how to do it effectively. And if you've never been taught, it's a great investment to make in yourself and you'll take it with you, whatever you do next. Hmm. I can't, I personally, I can't wait to go through this program, Hannah, because it's, <laughs> I'm do so it. excited. Well, yeah. Okay. So where, where are you at with the book? Oh boy. The book is in process. I, uh, I got assigned my editor this week, actually. So okay. the book is actually not necessarily, you know, pointedly on sales, but it's about awkwardness and awkwardness is not a weakness in the workplace. It's actually your greatest asset for professional growth. And I think in sales and revenue generation, especially you got to be willing to be awkward. In mm-hmm. fact, people who come across as super confident out of the gate, sometimes Mm -hmm. cross over into arrogant and out of touch. And so there's that beautiful balance. I use a story about Jennifer Lawrence in the book, like, Mm -hmm. you know, not everybody loves her, but generally people are like, gosh, she's so approachable. Mm -hmm. She's like gorgeous and funny and relatable and like trips over herself at the Oscars and laughs about it. You know, awkwardness is a superpower. So that's the book. It's in process. It'll be out 2023. So I'm excited Uh. to bring it to life. I'm excited too. I'm excited too. And in the, in the interim, I think that I read a couple of great books recently on, on communication, digital communications, and, and it's the human centered communication. The author Mm -hmm. is escaping me, but the dudes from bomb bomb. And then there was one on digital etiquette, right? Oh, Erica Dewan. Uh, no, it was a third one. It was, this was, I love etiquette, right? So manners and, and also I think we could, we have more than sales, but that one yeah. was a couple of years ago, but I read the digital Dewan. In fact, I was, I modeled um, the quiz for the Andy pull the sell without selling out mm. after Erica Dewan's quiz. And so yeah. after that, I was like, well, I'm going to have to actually read this book and like get into all the first stuff too. Yeah. So Erica yeah. Dewan's book is a great one too. Hannah, yeah. any other books or reading on the oh communication I, uh, like? like, look at my stat. Like, I just, I'm a reader. They're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm currently reading oh, simultaneously four okay. books. Let's see. Ask for more by Alex Carter, Brene Brown's Atlas of the heart. I think the more you can understand human emotion, the better you will be at sales. How I built this by Guy Raz. I think everybody does things differently and anti-fragile, which is more philosophy, a little heavier by Nassim Taleb. So yeah. I'm, I'm reading them all currently <laughs> Amazing. simultaneously. Okay. All right. So with that, I thank you, Hannah, for joining us today and making time for us. I, it means the world and thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Always, always. All right, friends, that wraps another installment of the revenue real hotline. I'd like to thank Hannah for sharing her brilliance with us today. If you found any value in, in things discussed, tell a friend 
post on social media, write a review. These actions go so far at this stage, and I, I, I thank you. With that, I'm Amy Rahubchik. This is the Revenue Rail Hotline. Happy selling all. Mm-hmm.